Welcome to Aperia, the podcast where we discuss the great questions of classical Christian education. We're your hosts. I'm Tim Darnold. And I'm Danielle Dillon Schneider. Join us as we navigate our way through the labyrinth of questions. Danielle, it's nice to be together again talking about formation and information. Where does the idea that information is the end of education come from? That's a great question. I think it's kind of a complex history. There's a lot uh, that has kind of gone into that mentality, but it's something that it's just a belief, I think, that we kind of have all accepted without ever really questioning, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, um, if you've ever seen shows like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Do you remember all these facts? Or like, you know, uh, you think about even test scores and that sort of thing. I mean, kind of seems like obviously school and education is about what you learn and how much you can memorize and show it on a test and simple enough, right? And, and uh, you get on the honor roll by passing a test or getting a 4.0. And that's, that means you are an excellent and best student. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that you're good at school if you get all A's, and you're bad at school, and therefore maybe school's not for you if you get C's, and uh, or D's, or F's, and sometimes even people think B's make you bad at school. That's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> lots of folks, lots of, lots, lots of parents think that, right? I'm, so I'm getting a little sick uh-huh. to my stomach when we're talking about information being the end of education. It's really disheartening and kind of discouraging that that's it, that's the end. Again, this uh, it's multi-layered, um, and we can't point to one thing. But what are what are some things that come to mind when we when we just think about information being the end of education? Because that's that is so common. I, I I tried to resist, but it is a little bit like the Matrix. We're living in this thing where we're just all accepting it. That oh yeah, four and SATs and all of those things are are what education is about. So where did this all come from? Mm-hmm. So I might be about to go on a tangent. I'm sorry. Love and it. I, I have it. to I have to give credit where credit's due to Brian Williams, Dr. Brian Williams, who is one of my professors, and he really is way more brilliant about all of this, but I'll try to give you a little bit of a highlights reel of that conversation. So education happened for a long time without grades. And this is not to say Um, Well, we won't get into the grading conversation yet, but it's just to say that uh, I think grades are are a really key way in which this idea that education is about information is still consistently reinforced um, because, you know, information is quantifiable and we looked for a quantity at the end of the day to see if you learned how much you learned, that sort of thing. So that's where I think you get that reinforcement that education is about information and that sort of thing. So I think when grades kind of come into being, it's really more about um, competition. So, you know, between two schools or two, uh, te- uh, two students, you know, who could know the most about these mathematical, uh, you know, concepts or scientific concepts even. Uh, and, and then it kind of began uh, to, to grow into, okay, well, if people want to leave this institution and go to another institution, they would have to pass some sort of an examination to show that they were able to go work and teach at another place and that they had this diploma from uh, where they learned, verifying that they had learned that, which I think is kind of very fair, but 
in, in the same sense, that kind of tends to grow and grow. And, and then you have a mass influx of students to where uh, you couldn't just have one teacher working with one or a few students who knew them deeply and could communicate how well that they were doing and grasping a certain concept or mastering a certain skill. And uh, it became too difficult to do that. So using quantities and, and brief words or rating systems, uh, that, that became the norm when you had way more people involved in education. And then the United States even, you have immigrants coming into the country who are learning English. And so a lot of the focus in schools became, okay, what can we teach them to become good American citizens, to learn English, to master these concepts so they could become contributing members to society, which I think is actually really fair. And yet that the way that that's measured through standardized testing, which has become even more of an issue in the coming years because now you have uh, the, way, the way in which people know that teachers are teaching is through accountability, um, AKA standardized testing. So there are these standards issued by the federal government and or the state that then uh, teachers have to teach to these standards through their curriculum and then students are assessed at the end of the year to determine how well the teacher taught to those standards and how much they had uh, retained or understood of this information. And if the students do well, the teacher did a good job. And sort of like a business, uh, everybody is happy, the customers are satisfied, the product has been created and consumed and measured. All right, let's, let's slow down. Let's slow down. I can see you getting visibly worked up, <laughs> and I love it. Um, but let's, uh, let's take time to discuss each of these points. I <laughs> hear you're slowing down to sip your tea. I love it. All right. So as we, as we dig into uh, some of these things, you mentioned um, movement when people were, were beginning to move from one town to another. As people started to move, they, uh, there was a desire to take a piece of paper with them to um, verify that they had a certain uh, level of knowledge, right? That, that, uh, that was part of this from a few hundred years ago that led to some of the quantifiable approach, uh, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, then, uh, and then the population growth that we had more students, so it was hard to know them in a deep and intimate way, and so we started quantifying and, and checking off. Go ahead. And, and some of that is, is okay. You know, education wasn't available to the common person for a very long time throughout history, and so the fact that kids were no longer being forced to work in factories, or they weren't just working in the fields with their families, but they were getting to go and to to learn how to read, how to do math. Like these are good things. So, so having an educated mm -hmm. uh, population is a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's good for uh, America to want mm -hmm. to have an educated uh, citizen mm -hmm. um, for for all countries. We see that throughout time. Um, but again, when when we um, there's a there's a saying um, to inspect what you expect, right? And so, what are we inspecting? We're inspecting the quantifiable knowledge, right? And so that naturally influences our teachers on what they're going to do. They're going to lean into um, teaching to a test if that's how we're inspecting what a good teacher is or 
what a good uh, student looks like or a well-formed teacher. Some of those things, um, let's, let's work backward on this one. Mm-hmm. Let's start with some more modern things and work backwards. So specifically here in America, we see some things some from our government that uh, took us into that, right? Yes. Uh, so, I mean, you go backwards back into, you know, the time where people were suddenly not doing too well on these college entrance tests or standardized tests. And there was a concern that maybe the teachers weren't really teaching the students well, that there was a need for accountability. And uh, maybe there was some sort of grade inflation. They were just giving out these grades and they weren't really doing anything. They were just taking a paycheck and not really, you know, teaching. And uh, I think different countries struggle with different uh, with this in different ways. Some of it's by investing more in, in teacher training and certification. Um, and in our country, it was more in terms of accountability through standardized testing. And that really has been sort of a bar that has been set for, I don't know, I guess since the 80s. Um, and I think is only in, increased with things like you no know, child left behind and some really good ideas too with like the idea act where you are, are making a, a education available to people who uh, have learning disabilities or differences and so i think so in some ways it, it it's still good efforts to include people and being able to give them opportunities to be educated but then um, I think, too, you have this idea with Common Core, and some people really are fine with Common Core. Some people that in our circles, we've heard a lot of disparaging against Common Core. Um, but, but it's become a federal uh, aspect, right, that where it's not, not normal for a while that the, the federal government was involved in education. It's really quite recent. I believe it was uh, under Carter's administration that it became um, a, a federal department, education, and then uh, Reagan had the opportunity to either uh, disband that, but he leaned into it and, and pushed into it. And so now federal dollars that go to mm-hmm. um, public schools are linked to federal programming. And so, as you mentioned, you have No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, mm-hmm. Initiative 2020, Common Core, all these ideas that are mandated and pushed down that you must educate in a certain way that mm-hmm. then is tested and quantified and if you don't do that, you don't get the federal money to educate the students, to pay teachers, to um, to build buildings and areas of growth. And so, uh, it's only it's only recent in the past you know forty years or so that that we it's been a federal program, mm-hmm. and then pushed into being much more quantifiable than um, than being qualitative. So. Mm-hmm. Those are, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Common Core. Mm-hmm. Of course, in, in our schools, we say we have no core but Christ, mm-hmm. right? We don't take any federal funds so that we can hopefully be more formational than informational. But we, we still struggle with it uh, a lot, even at our schools. We're, we just live in this um, modern soup of, uh, of what education looks like, and we don't even question the, uh, the assumptions of SAT scores and preparing for college, um, we just assume that education is about information. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there's so much assumption built into that, uh, right? Absolutely. Yes. I think, too, it's easy to fall into this as a teacher constantly of saying, okay, well, how much do they remember from 
this work or from when they were in seventh grade, I'm teaching them in 11th grade, do they remember all of it still? And, you know, sometimes they will remember some things, a few of them, but a lot of them don't remember certain specific facts or information. And you can start to really kind of wonder as a teacher, okay, well, why am I doing what I'm doing if they're not going to remember it, you know? Um, I know uh, Josh Gibbs talks about this and something they will not forget, this kind of concept of uh, you give them a summer and they'll kind of forget everything that they learned the previous year. Uh, have you experienced that similarly as a student or as a teacher? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, and it, it drives back into that information versus formation. And uh, if, if we're just seeking to inform um, it's uh, it, it will be something that, that they'll forget because we just keep going into this modern system of informing them, testing them on it, mm-hmm. and then moving on. And uh, and so, yeah, they give them a summer and they'll forget. All of us, right? Yeah, so we should just cut out books and curriculum and just let them do whatever they want, right? <laughs> no. No, that's uh, that's that would be a pushback, right? Especially when we get into grading and and talk about grading, and and the a lot of folks want to say, oh, you're so you're trying to dumb things down if you don't want to grade, and uh, all all we're trying to do is shift the conversation to be about formation and questioning the assumption of what is education for, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's tough because it's so much easier to quantify. And figure out if they have the knowledge than it is to look at the heart and the formation. We see that in scripture, right? Only God knows the heart of humans. And and so I, I, I try to do this with my dissertation. And um, I looked at classical schools versus non-classical schools and the formation of kids, students um, for, uh, for Christ and which type of education is more formational. And at the end of the day, in some ways, you just have to trust that God knows the heart. It's hard, it's hard to measure measure the heart. So I think that's why it's so much easier to have an SAT score and say, oh, we're doing a good job educating our kids. Mm-hmm. But that's just such a small piece uh, of it. And, and when, you look, when you look at the idea, I'm going to come back to our original question. Mm-hmm. Where did this idea of information being the goal of education come from Uh, a lot of it is the idea that students and humans are just human capital Um, that idea was pushed on me a lot in my graduate studies and um, and I was told I was wrong (laughs) when I disagreed Um, and it was it was just I see your eyes widening there yeah it was it was maddening because in some ways I was a lone voice Um, there was a couple others but no, we're not just cogs in a wheel trying to create uh, a great industrious land and nation that can compete with China or Russia or, or other places. We're, we're not just human capital. Uh, it's, that's a, it's such an awful view of life. And that does come with uh, the worldview of whether you believe there's a divine being and, and, and God who created us or whether you believe we're just... Uh, lumps of flesh to exist here for 80 years mm-hmm. and move on and that that we can be used by our country uh, as human capital um, and that idea of human capital back to the industrial revolution and, and all of the ideas that we are just being trained for a job to plug in as a cog in a wheel 
it's just so ingrained. It's hard to even question. Um, uh, what what do you want to be when you grow up? A, a good human? No, no, you know what I mean. Do you want to be an engineer? Do you want to be a, a, a nurse? What do you want to be? Um, sorry, now I'm no, rambling. no, but but you, you know that idea that you can measure your life by the dollar sign that mm. you make, uh, and that that is what it's about: how much money you make. And I think too so much about uh, Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis again, where he talks about education as either propagation, right, virtue formation, like getting a, a young. Uh, uh, a, a young bird ready to fly the nest, right? Or propaganda, uh, just training human capital uh, with axioms, just uh, information to memorize and regurgitate and maybe forget it doesn't really matter if you forget it as long as it gets you into this next slot in the cog in the machine, right? Like this next stage of life that you are just out there to go make some money, pay your taxes, and maybe not cost the state too much money, whatever, right? So it's it's kind of a, you don't think that it's dehumanizing when you say, oh yeah, I want people to learn things. And I, I think it's important to clarify, it's not bad to learn things. An important aspect of formational education is what you learn, right? Like, like are you studying certain books? It is good to study certain books rather than other books, right? Or um, good to learn in a certain way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we believe the the great books, mm-hmm. the ones that have stood the, stood the test of time, mm-hmm. the ones that have influenced other books and thought leaders who have come after them. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why we choose those books, not just because they're old, but that's why we lean against the modern books because mm-hmm. they haven't haven't yet stood the test of time to show their worth and their value. So you're right. We we do want to study certain things and mm-hmm. and study certain texts um so yeah and in some ways too it can be very liberating to remind yourself as a teacher hey um if if my students don't remember every detail of the divine comedy that i teach them that's okay right it it changes my focus in the way that i teach it what i'm focusing on if i'm teaching a book just for them to memorize a certain amount of information to regurgitate it on a test and then you know, the end. And if, if they don't for, re- remember it from year to year, I can start to feel like a failure, right? But if they remember from that book um, what, a, what it is that they should love and what it is that they should hate and why they should hate sin because it deforms the soul, right? And, and, and if they remember certain scenes and their affections are challenged by what they've read, then that's what they're going to, that's what's going to stay in their soul and that's what's going to remain, right? So that obviously is kind of difficult to to test and to quantify right but it's better goal for me as a teacher if if i have challenged and shaped their affections rather than you know yeah they're gonna forget some of the divine comedy a lot of it most of it maybe they'll read it again someday maybe it'll become their favorite book or maybe they won't ever read it again at all and think about it at all which is actually how a lot of education is right so i think it raises our goal and gives us a little bit more hope if we think about education being about formation than information and i I love that and the idea that um knowledge is not a bad thing um we're I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. We're not saying that knowledge is bad and learning information is bad. It's just been imbalanced. It's become almost the whole pie, um, whereas it should be a quarter of the pie. So if we're if we're looking at what we're doing, and we're only thinking about the knowledge and information 
naturally it will be uh, imbalanced. And so I've, I've been trying to think more about um, the verse from Scripture, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this idea that if we just uh, train our students um, in knowledge, it's just a quarter of what we're supposed to do. So the idea of knowledge, faith, wisdom, virtue, looking at all those, and as you said, it's it's liberating, it's freeing, and to know that, again, in Scripture, we're not told a student will become like the knowledge that they're given. A student will become like their teacher, and and the teacher is the curriculum. The teacher is in passing on uh, how he or she lives, how he or she thinks, how they interact with their spouse or with the world, and how they how they even just love their students. Uh, that's much more uh, caught than taught, right? You're catching um, what what the teacher is like. And so we as teachers need to really be mindful and form ourselves and, and lean into prayer and scripture and challenging these assumptions so that we can then pass on a well-formed uh, citizenship, um, citizenship of America, citizenship of uh, the kingdom of Christ to uh, our students. And, um, and it, it's neat to, to think, yeah, they can get a 4.0. We want them to do that if, 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 if that's what's meant for them or um, get great test scores. But there's so much more additionally to that that we forget to, uh, again, inspect. And, and you need to inspect what you expect because uh, that's what will be fostered. Yeah, and I think it's also an important note to remember that as we're thinking about the end of classical Christian education being formation and not necessarily information, I think that that's, that's really great and important for us to remember. But I also think that maybe if they graduate our schools and decide they want to go serve others through being a nurse, right? Information and understanding how to use that information, building skills, building aptitude, that will be the goal of their next level of, of, of education to be a nurse, right? Like they are going to have to master information at times. And I want a nurse who's mastered some information. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's not that that's never the goal for some education, right? So for uh, being an engineer, you know, I want them to know how to build bridges that don't fall down. Uh, that's really good for them to know that information. Um, and I think even as teachers, there's stuff that, in order to be able to teach, you're going to have to know not only your material, but your uh, your pedagogy, right? You're going to have to know how to teach. So it is good to have mastered certain information. And and so on, on very many levels, I think it's important to emphasize that we're not saying information is bad. And that in some levels of education, mastering information is one of the goals, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's very important and uh, is the goal by the end of it. But I just think for, for K through 12 education, if we're thinking about formation and being the end goal, some people might graduate high school and realize that they don't know what they want to study and they don't know if they need to go to college for something. It's a very expensive, I don't know. <laughs> and so I think it kind of can liberate them to say, well, I've been formed into a good person and I, I feel called to pursue you know, a, a different line of work than a four-year degree. I think in, in some ways that's 
very liberating to people um, who who might graduate college and have that experience or graduate high school and have that experience. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And yeah, the idea uh, we don't want to cut back on the mm-hmm. information. Mm-hmm. I think we have that um, more or less dialed in as far as the the importance of knowing things. We just need to grow mm-hmm. and and um, develop more of leaning into a, a virtuous citizen and and um, being a for, fully formed human. Um, so uh, we we can't we can't uh, leave this podcast without mm-hmm. addressing Rousseau, Piaget, Dewey, Horace Mann, all of these. Um, uh, awful theorists who who uh, stripped out a lot of the formational part and specifically formation of the soul, taking uh, God and the true good and beautiful uh, focus out of education. Um, and as, as that was done, that was all happening the same time as, as some of these other things we talked about um, to standardize things and to quantify things. And uh, as, that, as that was done, we also leaned into being much more uh, feelings-based and child-centric in a negative way. And mm-hmm. so they had some ideas that could have been good, but yet they, um, again, they were miscalibrated. And so they missed the mark and, and it's become um, much more wrongly focused on um, being child-centric than having, uh, having a master teacher guide mm-hmm. you and bring you along. Um, so you have any thoughts on, on that? Absolutely. It seems like student-centered education is sort of a reaction against the sort of behaviorist model. So in the yeah. behaviorist model, yeah. it's, all right, the teacher is the conveyor of all the information. You must reproduce it exactly. No questions asked. Do it. Whereas student-centered... The pendulum was too far? Yes. The one way, yeah. Yes. And then it swung back the other way, way too far, saying, okay, well, then whatever the student wants to read, to learn, to do, thinks about this idea that's right, you know, let the students choose. And and I think that's very alarming, too, because you're not really challenging students sometimes. Or I, I think a lot of the times even, too, it's with the idea of challenging them, but it's not caring at all about their formation. It's just saying, okay, well, look at their, their reading level so high when they get to choose what they want to read. Look at this test, whatever. Like, that's that's great, you know, as opposed to, well, what's... What are they reading doing to their soul? Do we care about that? Do we look at that at all? Um, are we involved in a conversation and, and deepening um, their their virtue, or are we just looking at certain measures? And and I think the Socratic pedagogy kind of it finds a lovely middle ground with that. About you know you do have the teacher as the authority, right? Who's guiding them on this path of inquiry. Right, and the students get to ask questions, and that's an important part. You have the students doing a lot of the active learning. You know, they're they're not just sitting passively taking in information; they're actively becoming members of the learning process. Uh, but then you are guiding them to truth, right, to a right answer, um, and and you're not just leaving them to their own devices. Yeah, that's uh, I, I love that, and I think it is important, especially in that rhetoric stage and the Socratic learning stage to realize there is a truth. Um, there is a master teacher in the room who will guide students to that truth. Um, and there, there's, a, there's an approach in a lot of Socratic-based uh, um, learning that truth is discovered or can be um, 
there can be multiple truths and that's that's not what we want right and so even that can be misguided so to have the classical christian uh, focus that there's there's the true good and beautiful found in god and that um that we need someone to lead us to it while we question and discuss and learn and grow together um, that's an important distinction that I think is lost sometimes because um, Exeter and Harkness and different places uh, have have gone toward uh, Socratic discussion and, and really helped in leading the way um, to discover, rediscover that model, but have, have missed the idea that there is a truth and uh, a formation that exists. And in Socratic discussion, there's so many ways that students are, are formed and given the opportunity to exhibit the fruit of the spirit um, with, uh, with, with patience and self-control and goodness in, in all the discussion. So um, I, I think, I think it's, it's good for us to understand that this quantifiable forma- or informational approach to education uh, has been imbalanced in, in modern America. And we've, uh, we've compared ourselves to other countries who are ahead of us in math or ahead of us in different ways. I've interacted with some students from China in grad school and also in, um, in, in having a young lady live with us for four years. And both of those individuals said, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing better in math and in other things, but the education in America is so much better because of the relational approach, because it's less um, focused on the human capital. But that just, that just shows maybe how extreme some of those countries are. We still have a long way to go in America, and specifically in our classical Christian schools. Mm-hmm. We're, still, we're still imbalanced. We still need to grow, and I'm excited to grow in that. And uh, hopefully in, in future episodes, we're going to discuss some of those ways that we can dig into that, maybe even the next episode, right? Absolutely. Um, so can you help us again to, uh, to kind of gather all this together that we talked about in this episode. Where did this idea come from that education is just about information? Well, ultimately, I hope we can remember and I hope that uh, listeners have learned that information as the end of education is just not the ultimate goal. It's come from uh, an imperfect history of uh, of educators and and students, schools growing immensely. I mean, there was such a huge influx of students, but uh, in in an effort to make sure that people were learning and that schools were doing what they should should be doing, there was this ability, there was this desire to try to measure what they've learned, uh, to to measure and to hold accountable. Uh, And I think that became then the goal of education. It's an easier goal, and it's something that now we don't really question uh, about, you know, how much did you learn, what did you learn, how did you perform, and yet it, it's not sufficient as a goal. Uh, we are not just human capital. We are people made in the image of God, and I think through recapturing a vision for formation being the end of classical Christian education, we can help lead our students into a more flourishing life. Mm, that's beautiful, and that's uh that's uh, an important, a difficult thing because it's hard to uh, to measure. It's hard to know what, how to educate in ways that we haven't seen or received ourselves. But um, give us a little taste of where we might go in the next couple episodes and, and things we might talk about. This is this is always such a, a pleasure talking with you, and and um, it's really encouraging. 
Absolutely. It's encouraging to be able to, to seek some answers alongside of you. In the next few episodes, we're going to look at uh, how formation being the goal influences decisions that administrators make, how it should influence what we do as teachers, really specific practices. I want to dig be, you know, beyond just the theory to really give some practical tools to teachers to help them reconsider how they could do their classes if the goal of education is not just information. Uh, and then really kind of how we know we might even be accomplishing this goal. Uh, can we, you know, if we can't really measure it, what are some things that we might look for or do instead? And really just barriers that we kind of uh, tend to encounter when we really try to enact formation as uh, the goal. What, what are some problems? What are some issues that we encounter? Excellent. That sounds fun. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you.